Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome back. It is Tuesday, January the 10th, 2023, and I am delighted to be with you this morning. I hope that everybody had a very happy Monday yesterday and that you are off to a uh, good start for your week that lies ahead. Where we find ourselves in our time together is in John chapter 18. Yesterday, we made it through verse 9 where Jesus um, is betrayed by Judas, or actually Jesus had previously been betrayed by Judas, but we see the fruition of that betrayal. Jesus has gone off to the garden, um, to the olive grove with his disciples, and there he is confronted by this group that we find. And remember, it's not Romans at this point, it's just the Jews, okay? Um, Judas came to the grove, this is John 18, verse 3, so Judas came to the grove, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priest and Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, uh, and weapons. The scene is set, y'all. This is like that classic scene in, in the movie where they all run off to, to get somebody and, you know, the villagers with the pitchforks, that kind of thing. A little bit more official than that, but the drama is high here. Again, it's in the middle of the night. Um, dark, dark, dark things are happening at this point. Um, Judas, of course, betrays Jesus. We have this interaction yesterday that we saw where Jesus goes up to them and, they, and he says, who is it that you're looking for or who is it that you want? Verse five, Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, I am he, Jesus said. And then they were struck and then just fell to the ground, cowering in fear. Why? Because Jesus yet again evoked the name of God. And not only did he use the name of God, it must have been very apparent. Now, we don't know the sight. We don't know the sound. We don't know the sensation. But something happened that caused that group of people that were there looking for Jesus of Nazareth. When he said, I am he, when he evoked the name of the Almighty God, he himself being God the Son, they could not stand before him. They fell over, right? And then, of course, as we saw, Jesus submitted um, to the Father's will. Jesus allowed himself um, uh, to, to, to be spoken to yet again. He asked them, who is it that you want? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. And then Jesus says to him, okay, I'm him. Um, let these others go. And we find out that this took place so that the prophecy would be fulfilled, that Jesus would not lose any that the Father had given to him except who we call the son of perdition, which is Judas. Now, that's where we left off. Where we're picking up today is in verse 10 with what happens next, right? Uh, and it's fascinating what happens next. Peter, Peter, instead of speaking, is going to do something. And that's pretty rare. So let's pray and figure out what he does. Father, please be with us now as we go into this time. Help us to understand Help us to appreciate. Sometimes, Father, it's with the stories that we've read or the biblical accounts we've read so many times and the stories that we've heard so many times that they can just get lost on us. It becomes commonplace and, and it loses its effect emotionally, um, certainly theologically in our minds in terms of devotion. But we pray that you would cut through all this. Help us to see the events of your son's passion unfolding. Help us to see these with new eyes, appreciating what he went through for us 
when not only did we not deserve what he did, we deserved the exact opposite. We deserved to be the ones that were arrested and crucified. And yet he took it for us. So give us grateful hearts. Please guide us now by your Holy Spirit. And we pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So before praying, I, I made a statement that's, uh, you know, a little interesting there. I said that Peter is actually going to do something instead of just saying something. Peter, as you all may know or may not know, Peter was very, very good at talking. Um, we have this discourse where Jesus takes the turn at Caesarea Philippi to come back to Jerusalem and to face his passion, right? But I like Mark chapter 8, okay? Mark 8 details this whole event where Jesus stops. He's in Caesarea Philippi, and he turns to his disciples, and he says, "Who? what do people say that I am, or who do people say that I am? And then they have the, well, some say you're a prophet and such and so forth. And then Jesus turns the tables on them and says, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And it was Peter that said, you are the Christ. But then when Jesus went on to explain what was about to happen, how he had to go to Jerusalem, and he had made the turn, and it says he set his face towards Jerusalem. Jesus knew what he was doing, but as he made the turn and then explained everything that was going to happen, Peter rebuked him. Um, and Jesus, of course, had to deal with Peter saying, get behind me, Satan. You have in mind not the things of God, but the things of men. You see, Peter was very, very quick to talk. Peter was also focused on a lot of things that he shouldn't be focused on. But here we find that Peter actually does something. Now, this is after John 18.9. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Verse 10. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Now the reason, and stop right there for a moment, the reason that I'm hearkening back to, to Mark chapter 8 is because all the way back there, Peter didn't get what Jesus said he was about to do. This cup that Jesus has mentioned here is the cup of God's wrath that Jesus said he, in fact, had to drink, and he had to drink it on their behalf. But Peter still wants none of it, okay? And it's fascinating here. We, we are not given a glimpse into Peter's rationale. You know, we're not told that Peter was moved with love for Jesus. We're not told any of these things. We don't know. All we know is the command that Jesus gives him. But I'll tell you this much, we know from the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that a whole lot has been taking place here that John did not include for whatever reason. And that is as Jesus is washing their feet, as they go through the Last Supper together, as all these different things are happening, we find the disciples arguing with each other. And they're arguing over who's going to be first when Jesus comes into his kingdom. And no, they're not talking about heaven. They're talking about this political kingdom where he delivers Israel from Rome, where he throws them over, all of these different things. So is it plausible to say that Peter did this not out of this intense love for Jesus, but instead because he still had his mind set not on the things of God, but on the things of men? As Jesus said to him, 
Mark chapter 8. Not only do I think it's possible, I think it's probable, especially when you see what Peter does next. Because you see, soon after this, Peter will yet again be speaking instead of acting. Nevertheless, at this point, we have this account that, y'all, this doesn't need to escape us. And no, be very careful here. The servant's name was Malchus, not Malfrus. But I will tell you an interesting story. You know, I'd always read this. I'd heard about this since the time I was a child, right? This incredible account of Simon Peter pulling out a sword and then he cuts off this servant's ear. Um, what does that say about Peter? I don't know. Why is he going for a servant instead of one of the soldiers, instead of one of the chief priests? Is it because it's dark?